Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome back to the SDSU Football Podcast. I am your host Andre Hagverdian, and we'll be joined shortly by my co-host Paul Garrison. This is episode sixty-five, and in this episode, we interviewed the newest defensive line coach at San Diego State, Boje Filimowiatu, who was hired in January of this year after uh, the departure of Justin Enna, who was a defensive line coach at San Diego State in 2022 and who moved on to take a linebacker's coach position at BYU, his alma mater, in his hometown. Uh, Boje Filimowiatu coached a defensive line at UNLV last year and also has extensive experience in the Mountain West coaching at his alma mater, Utah State, and also San Jose State. He's a new coach just to Aztec Nation, so uh, I think you guys will enjoy the uh, discussion about where he's from, his background, coaching uh, in philosophy defensively, and how his his Polynesian culture kind of fits what the Aztecs uh, program is all about. Uh, Paul uh, did this interview solo as I was in uh, Las Vegas covering the Mountain West Conference basketball tournament. Paul was able to do this one uh, with Coach Boje uh, about a week or so ago. Great information, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it, so let's get right to it. Aztec Nation, we are excited to have the defensive line coach for the SDSU Aztecs joining us today. Coach Boje Filimoliatu. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a great day so far, so I can't complain. Right on, man. So let me just jumping in. You were hired in January to be the defensive line coach, a position that you also coached recently at UCLA. Beg your pardon, UNLV. Um, can, can you tell us just how that process went and how excited you are to uh, be an Aztec? Yeah, so um, obviously I joined the staff of UNLV uh, last year during this time. Um, kind of aware of the situation I was in taking that job, but knowing that I was fortunate enough that Marcus Arroyo looked out for me and gave me a two-year, so you know, obviously I, I wanted to take it because of that. Plus, I wanted to see if I can be part of a, a program to flip. So I started there. Um, eventually, uh, the season started off well, then a lot of injuries and, and things that were kind of out of our control kind of happened, and we kind of started spiraling down and went on a losing streak leading to UNLV AD and to let go of Marcus and us and the staff. So it was very unfortunate, but, you know, things happen for a reason. And I was very fortunate enough to get this opportunity here at San Diego State. Um, Justin Anna, who's a brother to me, an older brother to me, was here recently last year. So when he had the opportunity to go home um, to BYU, which is a tremendous opportunity for him. I know that it, it hurt leaving here, but you know, for one thing, his family was in the in the whole transition of going back home. So great deal for him. So once he got that job at BYU, he put my name in for San Diego State with Coach Hulk and Coach Maddox. And they kind of went from there. Um we met at the convention for the first time and then a week later they bring me in for an interview and 
so on and so forth. And I end up here. I'm very, very fortunate. Um, this has always been probably one of my dream jobs from the get go because of where my wife was raised. Um, she was raised in Temecula. Okay. All her siblings went to San Diego State. And it's it's worked out so great. And I couldn't be more happier to be here. Terrific, man. Before turning the page to uh, what's been happening so far up on the Mesa, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, Coach Arroyo wasn't brought back, things of that nature. But you had some studs playing for you last year. Uh, most notably, Aztec fans will remember um, because they had a hard time blocking him. Uh, Adam Plant, Jr., you know, and he he was an all-conference performer. Um, you had another honorable mention. I mean, from a, from a coaching perspective, when you see your guys um, able to make leaps like that, man, what what is that like for you? Ah, man, it's it's probably the best feeling you get as a coach um, to see one of your dudes that's hardworking and, and does everything right to pay off, you know, towards the end of the season. But seeing them blossom, not just those guys, but a, a lot of those depth guys, they they turn into some great technicians and they continue to progress in that right direction all year. Um, when things got bad for the room, I think we lost about four guys to injuries, which took them out about three games. So a lot of those guys stepped up and they had to play some, you know, crucial reps in those games, um, especially towards San Diego State. I think we only had plan out there um, with three other alternates. And the other kid that played really well versus San Diego State last year was Jalen Dixon. And seeing those guys develop during the year at a really rapid pace um, was really, it really made me proud. I'll say that. But it all it all starts with them. You know, I can only lead them so far. They're going to have to go the rest. And those guys put in the work and believed in themselves and got it done. Well, you also, in addition to UNLV, you've had stops with Utah State, San Jose State in the conference. Um, did you feel that, that being able to, I guess, have that familiarity um, with the Mountain West and and uh, the kind of players who have succeeded here gives you an edge um, in the in your current role. Uh, yeah, of course. I think just having the the history that I have in this conference is such a you know great thing to have on my side because I know that majority of the teams that are playing that the staffs are still on board, so they're running the same schemes, and you know I can help in that extent, but. Most important thing is that like I want to make sure that we're creating and developing the guys to compete with those guys because I know what they have on the other side. Um, obviously, I was at Utah State and San Jose State, so seeing what they have compared to ours, you know, you want to continue to progress and be better than them. And having that knowledge, you know, it does help. But it all just comes down to who's going to be the better guy on Saturdays or Fridays or Thursdays. So I just want to make sure that our guys understand that, and we go from there. Now, you also played at Utah State. Um, yes. You uh, JUCO All-American, um, <laughs> and then two years at Utah State for for maybe some of the younger Aztec fans who, who uh, may not know, man. What kind of player were you? Uh, yeah, I was, I was okay. You know, I was... <laughs> the ra- the, the, onto the Raiders, into the NFL. Yeah, I'm going to say a little more than okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was okay. I mean, uh, I had I was very fortunate to get into some really good schemes and play under some really good coaches and surround myself with really good players. So, you know, that will allow you to play fast and make plays. And, you know, I, I'm not going to give me the credit. I'll give it to everybody else to make sure that it's known that the, your surroundings can help you as well. 
So then moving on to, to your, your new role, you jump in and there's a lot of turnover inside of the room, especially at the top of the depth chart. Um, what is just your initial impression uh, and, and how camp is going for the defensive line? Uh, the, I would say the, the most shocking thing to me was uh, obviously not just the, 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 the loss of production and depth that these guys had last year to now, but the culture that these guys have, not just for the D-line, but the whole entire team. Uh, it's very, very strong culture, and it's built from the ground up. They're very tough. And every year I have played San Diego State, we knew it was going to be a battle. You know, these guys are probably one of the reasons why I got fired at UNLV and Utah State. So to see why they're so tough and why the culture is so strong here because of what these guys do day in and day out. You know, it's no excuses. It's get the job done and just be relentless. And then to see that so far since I've been here has been the biggest surprise for me because – you don't see it as as an opponent, and but when you get here, you understand why San Diego State is known to be tough, relentless, and always really, really good on defense because of the structure has been set since two thousand nine, I believe. You know, coming into the spring, I mean, what was kind of like your you know biggest goal or couple three goals about what you were hoping to accomplish um, this spring? I think you're sixty percent through. Yeah. Uh, my biggest thing was to make sure that we continue to grow the depth at the D-line. Um, like you said earlier, with the loss of production and, and you know, depth and, and seniors and all that stuff, it, it kind of went gone last year. So trying to build that depth from, from the young guys, for the new guys, and making sure that we can build some technicians. And it all starts with fundamentals and technique. And if we can harp on that every single day um, – like Coach Hoke says, you know, you can see a little, you'll see a lot. And that's where I'm trying to focus on with this young group. And it's a challenge, you know. Um, I, I can say the same thing was said to me at UNLV. And, you know, those guys bought in. And if I can probably do the same thing here, where we can get some guys to buy into the system and the culture with the new guys, then we'll get this thing rolling. But, you know, it's, we're going to have to take it day by day. Now, one one guy who is coming back, um, who was an who was an, a linebacker went to D line and, and in many ways w- was the fourth starting lineman last year. Garrett Fountain, um, you know, is he primed for a breakout in twenty twenty three? Yeah, uh, man. So far since I've been here, he has been one of the hardest working, humblest leaders on this group. And you know, me being a new coach, you know, he's stepping into that role of being that leader. Um, and, and showing the new guys how to do this, how to do that, you know, spending time with them. You know, after practice, you always see Garrett in the film room, grabbing his food, going there, watching the film with the guys to get ahead of it before we even grade it. So that right there, that attribute shows you that how much he's ready to to break out this year. And then it all just it all really comes down to your preparation so you can play fast on Saturdays. And he's taking the right strikes. I'm excited to see what he does next next fall. And then a couple of young guys who uh, Coach Hope mentioned to us uh, when we were out of practice, uh, Darian Dalton, um, Dominic Oliver. Uh, you know, what, what what have you seen from those two and, and you know, the, their progression as such young guys? I, I think those guys are, are very talented. Um, they're very sudden off the ball. They have the twitch. I think that's going to have to now make sure that they understand is, is continue to stack assistant days with – 
progressing in the right direction. You know, Kotok um, always says you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And so we're always trying to get that 1% better every day. Uh, with them, it's just going to have to focus on the little details. And if they can focus on those things, it'll make the bigger picture beautiful. So if I can get them to hone in on that, then we'll go in the right direction. You coming from a JC, I mean, I think some of the hard parts is, you know, when a, when somebody who goes to the NFL becomes a coach, right? It's not always easy to to put, you know, your heart into your player's chests or your way of approaching it, things of that nature. At the same time, you know, JC players, especially say even a guy like, um, you know, Jonah Tavai, it took him a year before he really got going after the transfer. And then he becomes an All-American. I mean, do you feel like your experience um, playing and making that transition allows you to be a better coach for these guys? Because you have quite a few who are making that 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 transition on the D-line this year. Yeah, I think, you know, knowledge is power in, in life. Um, and I'm coming from experience and I was in their shoes. Now, I was very fortunate that my JUCO was really, really balanced with school, weight room and practice. So, you know, making the jump to the next level wasn't a dramatic jump. Obviously, the scheme was. So picking up on that was the hardest. You know, seeing nowadays, you know, when you do take a JUCO transfer guy, they have to get used to the time frame because, you know, when you come to a D1 program or any college atmosphere where you're structured from basically when you wake up all the way down to at night where you have study hall ending it, now you have to adjust your time frame. Instead of having eight hours of free time after practice, you have really two to unwind and go to sleep. So, and, and I love that part because it's, it's making men, right? You're, you're taking really young teenage kids and understanding that the time frame and, and time use is the most important. And so that's what I learned when I made the transition. And it's helped me in life in general to set up time and to make sure I'm, I'm structured from the night before setting up for the next morning so I can start it fast. And if I can help those guys understand that, then we'll make the right strides. But again, it just comes to be, taking it day by day with them. And so with, with those three guys, um, you know, Hall, Saladin, um, you have to give me his name better. Tupu. Huh? Tupu. Tupu, yeah. Yeah, Tupu. Uh, Tupu. Yeah, Aluahu. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, w w they they look, just from the look of it out of practice, they look physically where they need to be. But what what is that next thing for them to be able to to really make that transition, I guess, on the field? in addition to what you just described off of it? It's basically just mastering the uh, the playbook and, and the technique within the playbook and fundamentals. Um, obviously, you're, you're, you're taking a guy that has built habits over this time frame at JUCO, and then you, you put him in a system where now he has to learn new habits. And so you're trying to break those old habits so they create new ones that you want them to see. And so, you know, you're going to have to, harp on it every single day you know it's not going to be right you know it's not going to be perfect every single time but if you can practice with them and show the patience so, so they they can actually develop um then then you'll head in the right direction but it, those guys are going to have to continue just to create those good habits because you are what you repeatedly do and if you continue to improve in that aspect of creating good habits then we'll be all right but that's the biggest thing i have to do with them you know, we've had the opportunity to have um, 
few of them on the podcast, a few of the incoming freshmen on the defensive line on the podcast. They've all spoken how, how excited they are to work with a head coach who also focuses in on the D-line. You know, from your perspective, because it's pretty unique for a head coach to, to be like that and that involved, what, what, do you, what do you appreciate from that? What is that dynamic like for you and, and, and just Coach Hogue in general with that defensive line? Oh, it's great. You know, I'm, I'm like a sponge right now. I mean, I'm okay. just taking in all the wisdom, um, all the, the, the coaching and, and, you know, every detail of tips of being a man, basically, in life. I'm, I'm taking it from coach. And he's done awesome for this room. And I just want to make sure that, that I, I do justice for him. Um, obviously, I'm coming into a situation where I'm in a new scheme, new style of defense. And, you know, he, him and Coach Maddox are, you know, have, have the patience with me so I can learn and be caught up. And I'm getting there. The one thing I would say is, is those guys are awesome. Um, it's been probably one of the best staffs I have probably worked for. And I'm saying that in a short amount of time. So uh, yeah. it feels home here. It feels like a family. And we all want the same goal. We all want to make sure we can press and push for that championship and, those guys are are showing me the way, and I just got to take it and go. And it's, it's been a blessing, I'll tell you that. We we also had um, Savai Esalu, tight end coach, um, on the podcast uh, before last season. Uh, Andrew Amavai, who is the the dad of um, Liu Amavai, quarterback, mm-hmm. and they both on separate conversations they described Hoku being an honorary poly. Um, <laughs> and so, so I mean, t- tell us about like what is it about Coach Hoke? you know, from your perspective that resonates so well with like Polynesian culture? So like with, with all our cultures, I think we all wear our, you know, our heart on our sleeves. Our feelings is is always in front of us. Um, and we can tell right away if you're a genuine good person or you're not. And, it's, and I think that's just how we were raised, how our culture is. Um, we always go off that first impression. And with coach, you know, he doesn't put up a wall. You know, you can feel how genuine he is. He's not going to be the f- big, tough guy. He's going to tell you straight, but he he shows that he actually loves you through that. And I think we can all relate to somebody like that in our life. You know, whoever it may be, that significant person that, you know, is that person. And he does such a, a great job with our team and with us coaches that we actually feel that presence from him. You know, so we look up to him and we want to work hard for him. You know, it's I can say, you know, out of my whole career, like, one of the dudes that I have seen do that, where their their coaching staff and their players want to play for him hard and coach for him hard, and he's he's just that type of guy. Um, you know, very similar thing, man. You you were talking earlier about the culture of San Diego State, and that was the thing that really jumped out to you. You know, in, in studying that same idea about the different cultures, different Polynesian cultures, and and kind of then also like the blending that took place because of the states and all that stuff that worked out with it, you know, just came away really impressed by how similar the culture of San Diego State is to the values of all of those different cultures, not just about Coach Hope, but the program in general. Why is it, do you feel like there is so much resonance between uh, all these Polynesian cultures and, and and also what's happening at San Diego State. What I can say is, you know, from a young age, I was taught tough, you know. Uh, you know, we, my dad disciplined me. Um, but the thing that we understood as kids is, is if you did wrong, you're going to get disciplined. 
And we were taught at a very young age to respect our elders um, and to respect women and treat women with respect. And we have to make sure daily life. And I and it's been instilled in us since the beginning. Um, and so when you get to this place and you see why the culture is so strong, because it's so similar to ours. Like we want to be humble, hardworking, and hungry, and and make sure that, that we respect everyone. And then when we step on the field, just like in our life, you know, any anything that we were brought up in in any sports, that warrior mentality comes out, you know. And you know, back in my and in, in my culture, my ancestors, like they were warriors I want to see. And so I think that comes out with sports. And so we can all resonate with that, especially when you come here, everybody wants to battle. And it, and it's a brotherhood. It really is. And, I, and that's what has been the biggest thing I've seen so far is these guys are, are tight like glue. And they all want to work hard, not just for themselves, but the brother next to them. And that's what's really cool. Um, so, I mean, could you, would you, if you mind, would you tell us a little bit more about that heritage, you know, um, where you come from or your, you know, your, the, and, and yeah. how that bears on your work? Of course. Um, so I'm Tongan. Like my, my mom and dad actually come from the beautiful island of Tonga. Um, and it's very, you know, very special place in my heart uh, just because of how my dad was raised, my mom was raised. Uh, my dad was brought up with six sisters and four brothers. So he has a big family. Yeah. And they adopted, you know, so they took in a lot of their cousins that became their siblings. So we have a big family. And family to us is everything. Um, in our culture, we believe, you know, our first cousins is still our brother and sisters, you know. So that's why you always hear us say, that's my cousin, you know, that's my cousin. But really, we're, we're really saying that's my brother and sister. And the respect out of that is showing that women in our culture are, are treated at the highest level. And it starts with that, you know, uh, all our sisters, our mothers, our wives, they get the most respect out of everyone. Um, and, and it starts with that. I think if you show that type of respect towards any female, then, of course, you're going to respect your elders. And if you don't, then there's stuff that you have to pay for. Right. And that's with your father. That's with your grandpa, your uncle. I mean, it can be anybody. Not just my father disciplined me. It was it was a tribe that disciplined me. And that's what raised me to be the man who I am today. Um, obviously, my dad was very tough on me with sports. Um, I grew up with five sisters, and I was the youngest, so I was the only boy. And my dad was very tough on me, um, but he showed me the way. He he started me at a young age working construction when I was eight, all the way till I was 18. And wow. he showed me that either I can be successful in life and take this football thing and make something out of it, or I can go back and work like he did, laying brick, pouring cement, you know, building houses. Uh, but, you know, I loved it because it, it did show me some traits where I can develop if it went the other way. And it did show me what I really wanted to do. I want to not work a nine to five. I want to make sure that I can start my career and actually actually play football. So I had that hunger from the start because of my dad and the culture I was raised in. But it's just the beauty of our Tongan, Samoan, Fijian, New Zealand, Hawaiian culture that it ties us back to our roots. Um, and it's very special to us because you see any poly on the street and you're Polynesian, right away you say hi. And in my language, we call it Fedaki. So we, we're, we're hugging and kissing each other, introducing ourselves in the right way. So we show our respect to, to that fellow person. And it starts with that. And then I think it's one of the most unique things about our culture is that we can go anywhere 
But once you see another fellow Polynesian, you're always going to say hi. I love it, man. Two last questions for me. One of them, um, just asking about, you know, what what is it that that you're needing to accomplish? A little bit out of order, but what is it that you're needing to accomplish these last couple of weeks um, leading up into the spring game? Yeah, I, I still want to create technicians in the room. Obviously, the playmaking ability, but that will come with you doing your job. You're 111. And if we continue striding in that direction, just doing your job first, and then you'll make plays. The one thing I don't want to do is not do your job and you trying to do someone else's job because, you know, selfishly, you want to make the tackle. And I want to make sure that they understand that it's all just one-on-one battles across the board. And if you can do your job and beat that one man in front of you, that you'll make plays. And you'll be defensively sound. And I want to see that improvement coming into next week in the spring game. You know, I want to let these guys loose. I want them to understand that the only way you can play fast if you know what you're doing out there. And we're taking those strides every every practice. But, you know, I, I wanted to go faster. But I know down that it has to slow down for them first in order to get faster. So that's what I want to see these next couple of weeks. Terrific, man. Um, you know, you mentioned – I think Aztec Nation really liked this, man, because you mentioned Coach Anna. You know, Aztec fans don't like to lose to BYU for anything. No, no. Even, even for a coach. Um, is it true that you hated BYU growing up? And did any of that kind of, you know, kind of still with you a little bit today? <laughs> uh, yes. That's All right, there true. it is. Yes. Um, I've never... Never been a fan. I never will be a fan. Just the way I was raised, I was neither a Utah fan either. There you go. Um, I just, I didn't like both schools. I mean, I went to Utah State, so, you know, that should tell you enough. But going to Utah State, you know, made me hate BYU even more. Now, do I respect them? Of course I do. Respect every coach there, Kalani, all the way down. And I, I have the most I respect for those guys. But if we go at it, and of course, I'm gonna take everything to them because my rivalry at heart is still there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man! Yeah, did a little homework, and I saw that. And I go, oh man, Aztec fans—they're gonna love their new coach, man. Uh, thank <laughs> you so much for your time. Uh, really, really appreciate it, and uh, it was great getting to know you. And you know, blessed luck as the spring goes forward. Appreciate it, Paul. Man, thank you so much. Paul, uh, that was your interview with Bojay Filimowiatu. Thank you for uh, taking that one. As I was in uh, Las Vegas covering the basketball tournament. Obviously, I, I really enjoyed the interview and getting to know Bojay because he's a new coach. He's new to Aztec Nation. He's new to, to all of us. The Polynesian culture and his background and the fit, obviously, is an is a important part of his story. Uh, my article that came out on Monday morning kind of chronicled that. Before we get into kind of the football aspect of, of, of you know, the defensive line and, and San Diego State, uh, what are your main takeaways in terms of, of that? I think my main takeaway is in, in that aspect of it is that they were really wanting to, I think, continue to make inroads as a program into um, – just kind of, uh, I guess, emphasizing and doubling down on that aspect of the Polynesian culture and how that me meshes with what they're trying to do at San Diego State. So I think it made sense that that they would reach out to him. You know, I, I always think it's uh, interesting when anybody leaves 
And we obviously never had the opportunity to sit down with Coach Enna in the exact same way. I think it's a real classy way that he would go out and he would leave and he would be able to 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 fill a replacement. And obviously, if you've been on social media and things like that, you've been seeing him recruiting Utah and doing some of the same things. And obviously, he has the connections in those ways. And so I think just from the very beginning, that that fit with the culture, um, you know, I think is really, really good. And, you know, obviously, time will tell, you know, how good of a coach he is. He has extensive experience in the Mountain West, which I think gives him a leg up. You know, one thing he said that I want to, I don't think he gave himself enough credit for, he was kind of downplaying it, was when he was talking about San Diego State's toughness and their culture, he said, these guys are probably one of the reasons why I got fired at UNLV and Utah State, right? <laughs> Good that, line. That definitely doesn't apply to UNLV because his one year at UNLV last year, their defensive line played lights out and they wrecked San Diego State's offensive line for most of that game until the last drive. Right. And I think the last drive was more because they got worn down. You know, Bojay mentioned that they had some injuries. They were playing the second string guys. Adam Plant was obviously playing and he had a good game. So it wasn't the UNLV. It wasn't uh, the San Diego State game that got um, the coaching staff at UNLV uh, fired or at least Bojay. So I wanted to clear that up that I think Utah <laughs> State was a little few years before. I don't necessarily know how if that applies or not, but. Just wanted to, to kind of clear clear that sentence up because I think you, what UNLV's defensive line did in last year's game might have been a big reason why Boje got hired to San Diego State, as, as Coach Hope talked about in the release, in the statement they released uh, yeah. when they hired Boje. You know, listening to Boje talk about what, you know, what he's trying to get out of the defensive line is building, he uses the word creating technicians, right? Fundamentals and technique. And when you have such a young group, uh, I think getting back to the fundamentals is critical, right? And I think it's I like the way he 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 talks about do your job. You know, you're a defensive lineman, you're going up against the left tackle, or you're going up against the center or the guard. Do your job, beat your guy, do what you're supposed to do on your play, and rely and trust on the other guys on the defensive line and the other guys in your on your defense to do their job. And if you do that, you're going to be sound and you're going to be successful. And I, I like that approach. I mean, it kind of applies to any position, but I think defensive linemen are the ones that want to get sacks or they want to get the tackles for losses. And sometimes they may play out of their roles or their assignments to do that, which could throw the entire defense off. So I think it was important to have that base, especially when you're dealing with a young group who may not have that experience of playing that way. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a critical um, philosophy that I think is going to help San Diego State a lot this year. And I think echoing that, I think his football story, I think is very compelling. San Diego State has had some great defensive linemen, um, especially the last few years, but none of them came in as like highly thought of recruits, right? And they work themselves to that level the exact same way um, that that coach did. And, and so I think that being able to, you know, go to the junior college guys that they have and be able to say, this is the difference. I saw it. I lived it. This is what it is. Be able to say, like, this is what can make you successful. 
even if you're not necessarily like the biggest, strongest, fastest guy. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can be better. Um, and and so I think from that perspective, it also fits. And of course, he was uh, humble about his playing days, even though he was, you know, an MVP of a league and um, made it to the NFL, <laughs> you know, saw snaps in the NFL. I, I, I think that that, you know, holds a lot of uh, weight. Um, and then I think the other part that that's really interesting, we've asked Coach Hoke what it's like for him to be to to what does he think that's like for the defensive line coach that he's so involved and all of that and we've never got the opportunity to ask it the other way and for him just to say that he's like a sponge and he's learning and he's growing um you know it's an interesting perspective because that's right you know like this this is a this is a world-class defensive line coach that he gets to work with every single day who was you know three years, four years removed from, from doing it in the NFL. And that opportunity, you know, is, is just really re- unique and um, that he's embracing that and, and running with that, I, I think is just really positive. And it says a lot of things about him because, you know, football's competitive. These guys are competitors and some people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be able to um, allow somebody else to to shine or to get credit or, to you know be the decider or whatever even if they are the head coach you know and the fact that that he can do all of those things i think just helps because san diego state again as we said i said at the very beginning of this little part is just like they still not figured out how to get the 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 highest of the highest defensive line guys yet or even have the defensive line be at the same level that they're getting at the linebacker same level that they're getting in the secondary and so they got they have to develop everywhere that's never going to change, but um, it, it's especially true with with that defensive line and and having somebody who, you know, has that mentality of development, has that mentality. I think I think is going to um, do well for them. Well, the JUCO aspect of his career is, I think, is really important because of the amount of JUCO guys they have on the team now. You know, they brought in three for spring. They've got a fourth coming in the fall, and you know, he talked about he kind of talked about two main transitions. One is the time management aspect of it, being in a division one college university. Um, you're basically eating, breathing, you know, football, you know, and, and, and but with school at school on top of that, you know, your free time is he's, I think he said instead of having eight hours in Juco, you have two hours and, you know, next right. thing you know, it's 11 p.m. Right. And you need to go to sleep because you may be, you may need to get up at five to go to work out or whatever. So I think getting, you know, young men to bet on track for that is critical. And then I, I think it was interesting how he was talking about, you know, you, people have built habits in the JUCO and here you want to break those old habits and create new habits. And that's difficult. And that's a challenge for people as yeah. you'll step at practice you know, not you're just not learning a new scheme, you know, a three, three, five, but you're learning uh, to do it at a D1 level and practice at the D1 level. And uh, that, that it's it's interesting because some JUCO guys might think that they their habits are good and they've been successful at the JUCO level because they have good habits. And then they come here and they realize, oh, those habits are maybe not so good. And 
or they need to they need to be tweaked or they need to be revamped. So uh, it's a challenge. We've talked a lot about Jonah Tavai, who it took him a year coming from the JUCO level to become a starter and to become impactful. And then it was, you know, the year after that where he actually became, you know, an all-conference player. So it takes time for those guys. It does. And and I think that um, as we're constantly just paying attention to how recruiting goes at San Diego State, you know, that there there's one thought that potentially with the one-time transfer rule and how that trickles down to, um, you know, recruiting is that they, there might be higher level junior college guys who used to be going elsewhere and there's just less space um, because these guys are finding, you know, these transfers that are moving and things like that. And so um, potentially this won't be the last time that they're going to be bringing in people. I mean, obviously they did it because there, there was a big hole um, not only in needing players to, to jump in, but just in that junior year, there just weren't a lot of, of players was a a low class and, you know, they brought some in for for numbers wise, but um, I definitely think that 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 has a the potential, right? And so it's always potential to 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 be something that's really good. But um, you know, I think his track record speaks for itself. I think that uh, San Diego State um, fans, you know, were used to the Aztecs being able to run and beat up on the Rebels for a long time, and. You know, when you when you look at the idea that they brought in two coaches from that staff, um, primarily because they saw it happen. I mean, Coach Lindley told us the exact same thing yeah. about Jonathan Krause was just like receivers weren't a big problem for UNLV. And then suddenly they were. The D-line was not something that you were talking about when you thought about UNLV. And then suddenly there were. And so, you know. They, they want that. They want to have development. They want to be able to, to help guys come in and be better. And they saw it in those two, in a school up close. And they're hoping, you know, to work their magic with the Aztecs. The last thing I wanted to talk about or mention from the interview was uh, you asked Coach about Garrett Fountain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's one guy on the defensive line where you can say has experience and has quality snaps and quality uh, production, even in, you know, somewhat limited role, uh, it's Garrett Fountain. And, you know, we, we've talked on this podcast before about him taking that next step to becoming, you know, not just a, a starter, but the main guy on the defensive line, the playmaker. And everything we've heard and seen so far has pointed to that. But it was nice to hear Coach say, not just that he's the hardest working and he's humble, but he's taking on the leadership role of working with the younger guys, uh, watching film with them after practice, showing them the ropes, working with them on the field. that That's what you need because, as we talked about, all those other guys who did that are gone. And mm-hmm. somebody needs to take that role, um, and and Garrett has stepped up. And so I, I'm excited because I think we could, see, he could be, he, we could see a huge jump from him from, you know, playing every down, making plays uh, on off the edge, stopping the run, rushing the quarterback. I think he he's primed for a huge year. I agree. And I, I think it's interesting, too, We when, you know, when we've been to practice, the way they handle different guys, right? Dan Apoco, they've been, you know, limiting his snaps, um, but they're expecting 
him to be a big contributor this year, potentially a you know starter. But with Garrett Fountain, he's been in everything. And I think it's just a reminder um, how new he is still to the position. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that's another aspect of, of, of that leadership role is he is always out there. He is always competing. He is doing all of that. I think that, you know, it, it's, it's great to hear because, you know, they, they need somebody. They, they need, they need that front six to, to, to be better. But, um, why don't we, why don't we keep talking about the practice, man? We were out there practice today. You know, what were some of your general observations from, uh, the last Monday practice of, of spring? Yeah. I was going to say today on the first day of spring <laughs> today, um, is Monday. Uh, so yeah, there's a last practice before the spring game. So it's technically practice 14 out of 15 because the spring game is considered, you know, number 15. It, it was a lot more team drill oriented than mm-hmm. I think it was from the earlier practice we went to, which I think gives you a better sense of how the, how the players are working together. I think the over, the first overall um, impression and I think both of as we were talking to each other during practice was a lot in, improved play by the quarterbacks and across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's making decision-making, the throws. We saw a lot of nice throws, a lot of nice spirals, um, a lot of, you know, out passes, out and ups, uh, things like that, slants that overall from you know quarterback one through quarterback five was much more improved than we had seen a couple weeks ago at some of the practices we went to and i think that jumped out to both of us Mm -hmm. that there's improvement there now it's one practice um a lot can be gleaned from you know one practice and then the spring game could be different but i think it, it it shows an improvement that you know with ryan lindley and the rest of the offense um uh, they're they're making strides at least um, from what we we can see. I w- I would agree, and you know how how we're basing that off of. I mean, that's always one of the the fun parts of this, right? Is you make these evaluations, and it's and and since we've been able to do this for a few years, you know, you you really uh, you know these are conversations that you and I have had. Like, what are we looking at? How can we tell if they're better? What is what are what are some of those ways that that you know the evidence of that? And so you know you mentioned just just the 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 tightness of the spirals, the locations of where the passes were thrown. But you know one giant thing for me um, that I always like to pay attention to is if there's no rush, if there's no rush, yeah. a D one quarterback has got to be able to pick apart a defense, like. Okay, there might be a drop. Okay, there might be a missed pass. But if you're if you're not completing seventy five percent of your passes in seven on seven at the D one level, you know that would be a sign of trouble. And so today, it didn't matter the quarterback that was going up there; um, they were just picking apart the defense. And it wasn't necessarily that they were going over the top every time, but they were making completions like. Every time, and there were times where they fitted in windows, and there were times when they went over the top. There were times where they just dunked it down and went short. They hit those out routes like you're talking about. They did the, all of the things, but like there's no rush. So a quarterback should be able to to do that, and a receiver should be able to get open um, because, of course, the rush means so much. And 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 we saw that when they went into the eleven on eleven, and there there were some times where 
the receiver had broken open because, you know, they just broke in coverage or whatever. And the QB wasn't able to get the ball there because they got sacked before it happened or they couldn't throw, yeah. they couldn't step into the ball. And so I, I just think that, that that's, those are the things that I paid attention to as, as saying like, okay, did they do what they needed to do? Did they look like they were a D one quarterback who could complete 75% with no rush? Um, and they did. And they did. Um, and then, like I said, like you said, it was, it was through multiple QBs. And I, I think, um, as you were talking about with Garrett Fountain, um, one thing that stood out to me as I went to the different position groups, um, is how common it was for the older players to be giving little tips to like younger players. Like, like for instance, um, I, I saw Christian Jones and, and, um, Christian Jones and Cade Bennett were practicing a um, double team drill. And in the double team drill, the other offensive linemen are simulating the defensive line and the linebacker. Coach Crum is behind them and he's telling, he's telling the defenders where they're supposed to be. And, and the two linemen are supposed to double team. And then one, depending on how the defensive lineman goes, is supposed to break off and go and get to the next level. They do the drill. The coaches say nothing, and they move on down the line to the next group. And um, Joey Wright, who is you know presumably competing with Christian Jones, is telling him about hand placement, and is telling him you know put your hands here, and you're going to be able to things of that. And and you're just like, that's a cool thing for a veteran to do to be team oriented like that. And that was just one of a number of times that I noticed the older players just giving little pointers here or there on, on how to do, on just, just those small particulars, right? The technician stuff that um, Coach Boje was, was talking about. And so do we call him Coach Boje or Coach Fili Maliatu? How do we do I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people call him Coach Boje. So I That's what I've heard too. That's what I've heard. Okay. Um, Fili Maliatu, sorry. So anyway, I that's that really jumped out to me. That stood out to me that as much as these 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 kids are competing against each other, there there is a lot of that that team oriented stuff. Um, and so so that that really stood out as as, as a positive. Yeah, we should also mention North Turner was at practice. Today. Hey, yeah, former Chargers head coach, former offensive coordinator at multiple spots, including the Cowboys when they were winning Super Bowls in the nineties. We asked Ryan, we had a chance to talk to Ryan Lindley after practice, and we asked him about that, and he he talked about how having his, being able to pick his brain uh, from an outsider's perspective who's just watching and seeing what they're doing, I think is something that he's looking forward to after spring is over. There could be little, one or two little things that come out of that conversation that could end up being major you know, advantages or benefits to the offense, you know? And I think having having that expertise, at least watching as an observer and then providing input, I think is really helpful for, especially in a first-time offensive coordinator um, with a team that's still building its, or an, an offense that's still trying to build their identity. I also like what, and this is no shock, but I liked how when we asked Coach Lindley about the offensive line, he he basically said, right, 
<laughs> we they set the tone. We go yeah. as they go. Yeah. As good as you know, we can say this running back is doing amazing, this wide receiver is doing amazing, the quarterbacks are doing amazing. If they don't have time, they don't have protection, they're not blocked, they're not gonna none of those guys are gonna be successful. And you know, he he just joked about how he has some really, really nice kids on the offensive line. And he needs <laughs> yeah. to get them to show their other side, their their right. non nice side or their non good side. And right. uh, that's how you have to be a little bit mean and nasty, right? To be an offensive lineman and you, you know, without crossing the line, obviously. And uh, he's trying to get that out of those guys. And I'm sure coach Goff is, has been doing that and is doing, and will continue to do that. But uh, that's critical. This offense is going to go as the, as the offensive line goes. Yeah. Without, without question. And I think because the offensive line underperformed last year, it's it's almost like it's treated like a some sort of secret, <laughs> you know. The coaches know, <laughs> they 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 know, and that's that's their focus as well. Um, you know, I, I think another real interesting part about um, that we learned today, and and it, I think it was much more explicit. I think we had noticed it and we had noted it, but you know, we we didn't we thought we didn't bring it up when we talked to him, um, Coach Lindley. Uh, but just his philosophy and in, in how he's going to be a QB coach and that he's he's not going to be worried about a lot of those like finer points of being a QB. He says, look, these guys have been thrown with their dad their entire lives. This is how they throw. And if they can't be effective throwing the way that that they need to be in this offense, he's like, there's there's a lot of guys in Southern California who 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 aren't going to have these huge low deliveries and all the things that they're not looking for. And so I thought that was interesting because we we've heard that before, right? Like we've heard that 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 what the the coaching staff is able to do is to really kind of put a bow on the production of their players. But the real individual like jumps and leaps in improvement comes when they're away from the coaches. They're going to be reworking their body, paying attention to the techniques, putting in applying, you know, what maybe they saw a little bit in spring over the summer and then bring that as like a mastered skill into the fall. Um, but the, the coaches just by the, the, the sheer amount of time that, that they're away from them don't have the ability to, you know, take a guy's throwing motion. And, you know, this was the exact example that Lindley gave and rework that guy's throwing motion. There's just not enough time to do something like that. Um, and so I think that that's a real interesting just part to to pay attention to and, and to think about at least when, you know, making an evaluation, you know, down the road or whatever it is about like how good of a job did, is he doing? Like what, what is he, is he reaching the things that, that he's supposed to be doing? Because, um, you know, with uh, Jeff Heklinski, that was one of the things that he talked about was taking a very similar approach in his first couple of years, then watching film and saying, it's not that these guys aren't throwing to the correct person. They're just not throwing the ball the way they're supposed to. And that's all about technique. And so then we saw him go and become more of that QB trainer to try to get these guys to be able to do the things that they needed to do. And so it's just, it's just, you know, it's different coaches and, and trying to understand the differences. So I, I thought that was, um, very, very interesting. And then, uh, I mean, changing over maybe to the defense, we also had an, a great opportunity to to talk with Coach Maddox, who clearly missed us. 
you know that i think that i think i think i, I take that and really look forward to having a more um a longer conversation with him because it just i mean the, the there's so many things that he you ask him a question you know you ask him a question and and you're expecting coach speak you're expecting brevity you're expecting and then he gives this answer and there's like seven things that he says in there that you're like oh I hadn't thought about that before. And you need, and then you want to investigate what he's talking about. And it just leads to such a great conversation. So um, hopefully with Coach Maddox, we'll be able to, you know, obviously before the season, um, have him on the podcast again and, and be able to, to really um, pick his brain and just see how he's doing. But it was great to also get an opportunity to talk with him. Um, and I think the, uh, the high praise that he gave um, – you know, Des Malone and Patrick McMorris, and, and he talked about them not just being great players in the Mountain West, but talked about them being some of the best DBs in the nation. If that's true, some of the actually, and he said, they're certainly some of the best I've ever been around, right? Coach Maddox yeah. said he's ever been around. And if that's true, then I think that the 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 path for the defense to be good becomes clearer. Like if they're really that legit and they're so they're that much, you know, that like high level, high level, high level type guys, um, that can go a long way for bringing up a, an inexperienced front six and making them look a whole bunch better than they are. Yeah, I was mad at you because you beat me to the question that I had for him uh, after <laughs> practice. Because, okay. you know, two years ago. Yeah. They lost three starters in the secondary and had to bring in three brand new starters with no experience. And we asked him, you know, with such a uh, young and inexperienced secondary, does that put more pressure on the front six, and especially the front three, to get more pressure without blitzing? To I want to interrupt. I'm sorry. I want to interrupt. Just so everyone knows that Andre's anger is misplaced, Andre got the first question. Right. So he had he had the opportunity to ask this question. And so, so <laughs> my first question was his second question. So just for the record, he could have asked this question, but he went elsewhere. Right, go ahead. He went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, right. It was it was to to combat an inexperienced and young secondary, you put more pressure on the front three that is experienced, that they can get press, uh, pressure on the quarterback without blitzing. And guess what? You have Cam Thomas, Keyshawn Banks, Jonathan Vi. Those guys did it that yeah. year, and they won 12 right. games. And I was curious to see whether the inverse could also be true, where you have a in young and inexperienced front six, especially front three, and you have a very experienced secondary. What can they do? And, you know, most coaches will start say always say it starts up front, right. right? It starts in the trenches. And so I was curious to see where – Coach Maddox would go with that. And he gave a great answer. He said, we know that our DBs are really good at playing man coverage. So if we've got five guys in the back that can cover five wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends, that gives that lets us do whatever we want with those other front six guys. Mm -hmm. We could bring all six and blitz. We could br bring five and drop the sixth guy back into a, a zone. We could rush four. We could disguise and rush maybe two or three and drop other guys. There's so many different things you can do. But yeah. if you have five guys in the back that can cover man, 
that'll give you more of a confidence to do that. And I think uh, it makes a lot of sense. It shows a little bit how the defense may look this year uh, with more blitzing, even blitzing more from the safeties as well. We've seen that. Right. And so a lot of versatility there using those five guys in the secondary to either, you know, play man, blitz. He even talked about showing man at the snap and dropping into a zone with the secondary. So, you know, those aren't new things. They've done a lot of that in the past. But given the situation they're going to be in this year with personnel, you might see a lot more of that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the questions that I, I would like to ask him is, is that more fun? Is it more fun to 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 be able to, you know, because he talked about being able to make, to be able to get to the quarterback with rushing four and how they were really good at it two years ago, not so good at the beginning of the season last year. And I just just wonder if it's if it's more fun as as a as a deep as a defensive coordinator to do that. But I mean, to your point, today we we saw multiple times where they were bringing a corner, multiple times they were bringing a safety, um, and and you know I think it obviously helps with figuring out how to block that. I think it also helps with you know that development on the other side. Um, but that was something from the very beginning that you know we talked to Coach Hoke and we said, okay, well, how does it actually look different on the field? And that's what he said. He says, you know, you might do more zone blitzes. You might do, you know, more exotic blitzes because you want to find your playmakers and your playmakers right now, it looks like clearly are in the secondary. And, um, you know, I thought it was interesting um, just the way they've done the rotations and stuff. It was the most that we've seen Patrick McMorris. He played the entire practice, but, you know, they they, they also um, played Joshua Hunter. And they rotated him with the with the ones at both warrior safeties while also playing, um, you know, Sedarius Barfield and um, Devon Celestine as well in those spots. And you know, we we so so it's just it's just an, it's an interesting way that they that they approach that. I thought defensively, you know, what he talked about, I think, is what you saw, which was. You know, there would be plays where there would be no holes for anybody to go through and they would look dominant. And, you know, it was just one guy after another coming to the quarterback or one guy after another cutting coming to the running back. And then, you know, we haven't really seen it very much the last few years, but big holes that the offensive line opened up against that defensive line and against that front six and you know, um, Cam Davis really flashed with a couple of runs. And so I think that inconsistency, you know, is is something that that uh, between now and the start of fall camp, you know, I, I think that there's there's a real big expectation that they can be better because so many of the guys that they're depending on are so new and they won't be new in the fall. And, and Coach even spoke to that. You know, he was pretty frank in the beginning when we asked him to kind of assess the defense through spring camp. And, you know, he said the guys are working hard. The guys are very eager to learn, you know, getting used to the culture. But from an overall perspective, they they have not met their highest of expectations. And so he understands the situation that they're in, uh, that they're trying to get better. Um, I think the spring game will will give them another glimpse of some guys uh who can who can splash? I think he did say 
that they're probably going to play a very, you know, base defense in the spring game because they want guys to not have to overthink and they want guys to play free and, and play fast and see where their strengths and weaknesses are in that setting so that they can, you know, work on that as they get into the summer. He, the little linebacker conversation was interesting too, because, you know, he said he's got five guys who he thinks are going to get the, you know, those, either the three starting spots and then the two primary backups. He didn't want to name names, but then at some point later on, he kind of looked out of the bag and they're kind of the names that most guys would expect. But I think that competition is going to be, obviously the defensive line is going to be important, but I don't, I think as he talked about, they could be playing, if they had a game today, they would probably play 10 guys on the defensive line, rotating guys. Right. Right. Linebacker, he was like, okay, we've got five guys we can play. And I think those the whoever gets the three starting spots, it's really gonna be more like five starting spots because I think you're gonna see a lot of rotation between uh the first string and those and those main two backups, if you want to call them backups, but they're really just secondary starters. So yeah, that that's a really strong competition. That's I'm gonna be curious how that depth chart looks after the spring game. And then how it looks when fall camp starts, because a lot, a lot, as we saw last year, things will change. No doubt. No doubt. All right, man. So I want to ask you a few questions about pro day. Okay. Because you covered SSU's pro day last Friday. And, um, you know, so here, here, here's the, what was your biggest takeaway um, from SSU pro day? My biggest takeaway is, how hard those speed drills are. Not the 40-yard dash, because obviously that's hard, but it's just running straight, right? But, but the short shuttle and the three-cone drills, seeing guys do that up close, elite athletes who look who are in phenomenal shape struggle, you know, running around cones and running back and forth and things like that. I think that was my biggest takeaway was this is hard. And these elite athletes are struggling at times through them. And I can only imagine if I tried to get up there and do some of those drills, what a disaster it would be. So that was my takeaway. But if if I'm looking at players, I think guys were in phenomenal shape. You know, a lot of times when we're at practice or we're at games, we're seeing football players where you know, jerseys, pads, it's really hard to see their bodies, right? And then in this setting, when you're, they're wearing tank tops and they're at some drills or shirtless, you're like, okay, these guys are in phenomenal shape. You know, Braxton Burmeister, he is an elite athlete. It's hard. We saw those skills in his running ability in practice and in games, but when you see him up close in that setting and some of the things he's doing, you're like, this guy's an elite athlete. There's no it's not a surprise that he has MMA aspirations in the future because of, of his athletic ability. Now he told me flat out football is his number one priority. He wants, he's going to go after football as his, you know, next, next level career professionally. So uh, he is focused on football and he is putting the work in to be a wide receiver, something he didn't do until, you know, maybe four or five months ago. Right. And so, Biggest takeaway is how hard those drills are and how great shape all of those people are. Okay, so I wasn't able to cover it this year, 
Um, but last year I was wildly impressed with the just SDSU football community, not, not so much um, outside of the team, but the, just the number of former players and the number of current players, you know, or players, you know, who are still on the roster who came out to support the players doing their pro day stuff on the field. Um, from, from that perspective, man, what, what was it like on Friday? It, that, it was great. I mean, it, there was current play, a lot of current players there, obviously. Some recent, you know, players that are no longer on the team. You know, like David Delgado was there, uh, Michael Shockcroft. Uh, but there was guys from two years ago. Daniel Bellinger, an NFL player, came out to support his former teammates um, and a former roommate, you know, Jesse Matthews. And he, I think, were roommates. And uh, Elijah Cody, who's now a coach, uh, an off co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Uh, Connor McBride, Jacob Rabb. You know, I know Jacob Rabb transferred to Colorado State. Obviously, for his re- he wants to play at the next level, and you know, with Ryan Wintermeyer here, he he saw that his playing opportunity might not be there last year, and he wanted to go play somewhere and went to Colorado State. So he's going to do his pro day at Colorado State coming up, but he was still here, wanted to come out and support his former teammates, uh, a lot of friends and family, you know, uh, were there uh, supporting those guys. So I, I think you called last you called it a family reunion last year and it felt just like that uh, this year for sure. I wasn't at last year, so it's hard for me to compare, you know, last year to this year, but um, it definitely felt like a family reunion um, seeing all those guys. So, I mean, then I think that's, that's the hardest part about these kinds of days. I, um, is there anybody that maybe there was like some buzz about just their performance um, on Friday? I think Olimo Luave probably had the most, I don't want to say impressive performance because every, a lot of people, what they did was impressive. I think he showed really good agility in those, in those drills. He had a really good change of uh, direction drill that he did that um, he seemed to nail pretty good. He's got great athleticism, and I think he showed that off in everything that he did. And he even said afterwards that he thinks that that's something that scouts, you know, definitely appreciated about him and thought that that, that could be something that could, you know, help him in, in the evaluation process as he go, gets towards the draft. So, you mean, you said multiple impressive things give me a few more um jordan bird he did some punt return drills braxton burmeister did as well but jordan bird i mean i think he caught everything uh and you know the jugs machine was not did not have its best day i would say and and jordan obviously with the punt returning and then he also caught ran routes and caught passes uh as as a you know wide receiver i guess role uh, he's a guy, I think, he ran a 4-4, I believe, unofficially. That's what I heard. Uh, I didn't see any official uh, time listed for him. Uh, actually, Braxton Vermeister also ran a 4-4. So if you're wondering who ran fastest, from what I heard, and you know, these t- as I said, these times weren't verified or official, but I heard from some, you know, reliable people that they both ran 4-4 and so just think about that the quarterback the starting quarterback from last year you know ran a 40 as fast as jordan bird so 
Um, I think those guys helped each other a lot. Uh, and then Caden McDonald, uh, one thing I wasn't aware of, but he he showed off some long stamping himself. And he's, uh, I guess that's uh, something that he's, he's done, he likes to do, has some skill there, and he wanted to show it off as, you know, add to his versatility as a defensive player. So um, that was a surprise. You know, I saw him practicing some long snapping, and I was like, uh, is he out to the side? And I was like, is he actually going to do it? And then he actually got on the field and did it with some scouts watching him and telling him, you know, uh, and timing him. So that's that, that was an interesting thing that that's another way to get guys recognized and get guys um to make rosters so did message jesse matthews and asked him what he you know what he thought about um his day and he just you know briefly just said that he he he, he accomplished everything he set out to accomplish yeah um but you mentioned you know a burmeister and bird um running routes as receivers and we know what a technician matthews is in that regard how did they look in comparison to somebody you know who is so elite at it um there were you could definitely tell that they're not as good as someone like a jesse matthews and even tyrell shavers uh there were a few like when they ran a couple like they did a goal line fade stuff and and i don't believe braxton or jordan bird ran those i think it was just jesse and tyrell so there were a few different routes that was specifically strictly for those guys but yeah jesse i was on point i mean there we know how good of a route runner he is how great of hands he has you know any any pass that was thrown his way that was even catchable he caught there there were some passes that were not catchable um which that he can't control that obviously uh but anything that was in his vicinity he came down with so yeah it was a, it was a the typical Jesse Matthews route running and hands show that we've seen for the last 4 years no I don't, not that that's not going to change anytime soon so the last question about that um last year watching Daniel Bellinger do what he did um he just looked like an NFL player uh and and you would think that if anybody out there would have been like that, it would have been Tyrell Shavers. Um, you know, did, did did his physicality impress? And 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 you know, do you think he helped himself? I think so. I I was curious to see what his forty time was. I didn't. I wasn't able to get that info or or anyone to to share that with me. From the eye test, it was hard to to tell. Um, but obviously he didn't run it as fast as Jordan Bird or Braxton Burmeister, but I was curious, is he in the 4.6 or is he closer to 4.7, 4.8? I think that stuff matters to scouts, even though it's kind of stupid to look at it that way when you've got a 6.6 wide receiver that can go up and get passes. Yeah, he 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 fits the bill for sure. Uh, he has great hands too. I mean, I don't think he dropped any passes that were catchable either. So, yeah, he he looks like an NFL receiver. And, you know, one thing Jesse Matthews doesn't have is he has, and Tyrell does, is the height, obviously, and, and the long arms and things like that. So, as, as we've talked about, none of them got invited to the scouting combine. Um, none of them were in the Senior Bowl or the um, the Shrine Bowl. East-West. East-West, yeah. Um, I, th- I think Jesse and Caden went to the hula bowl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i believe there's one other bowl that uh Braxton Burmeister and Keyshawn Banks went to yeah. yep 
Yeah. Uh, which bowl was that? I'm not, I don't remember the name. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just based on not getting invited to the combine, not getting senior bowl, shrine bowl, like that'll tell you that what scouts are projecting them to potentially not be, you know, drafted or at least in the top five rounds. But a lot can change. All you need is one team to love what you do, love who you are, and and not want to risk waiting to sign you as an undrafted free agent and, and, and picking you up in the sixth round. All it takes is one team. You don't need to impress 30 teams to get drafted. You need to impress one team. And I think there was a lot of scouts there. I think there was probably about 10 to f- about 15 scouts there. Um, so a lot of those, a lot of those guys saw what we all saw and, you know, all it takes is to impress one team and you get your shot. Now, you, just because you don't get drafted, we've talked about this in prior, prior years and prior, you don't, just because you're not drafted doesn't mean you can't make a team and make a roster and get your opportunity. So well, these guys, you know, they've done the, they put in the work and now, you know, they're going to keep working. Obviously they're not going to go sit on the couch and, and uh, not work, but you know, they've done what they can do. And now it's just, it's kind of a waiting game until, you know, end of April. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, you know, what some of these guys are going to be capable of doing. Um, I think, you know, Trenton Thompson, I believe I read, you said that he, he was there as well. And obviously, Tariq you know, Thompson. Huh? Tariq Thompson. Oh, so Trenton Thompson wasn't there. Okay. Well, Trenton Thompson last year went through these drills, went undrafted, and then obviously came in and played for the, for the giants as well. So um, that was good, man. It was good. Thanks for the update. Yeah, it was a, it's a fun it's a fun event. I'm glad I had a chance to attend it and you know check it out. You know, not to I wish that the the official times and stuff would be like passed out or or provided either after the event or something like that. But maybe I'm asking for too much. But oh yeah, those things are like closely guarded secrets. I mean, yeah. like. I think each each scout has their own stopwatch and they write down their own numbers and and they don't they don't want them to to even that stuff to be shared. I mean, I remember last year Taylor Hawkins was just going to different scouts and trying to ascertain what his numbers were and they wouldn't even tell the player. So, good luck, buddy. Getting that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing my own stopwatch next year. There you go. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Coach Boje and our discussion about today's practice and pro day. Uh, as we, we've talked about, spring game is Thursday night, 6 p.m., Snapdragon Stadium. Tickets are free. Parking is $10, so make sure to come out and support the, the football team and um, see how they look. A lot of new faces and a lot of new players, a lot of new coaches. It should be a fun time, so come check it out. Any last words, Paul? No, man, this just, uh, I think that Coach Lindley said it best. They want to score some touchdowns on Thursday. That's the goal. Yeah, explosive plays. Explosive plays, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, share on all your favorite platforms, and we'll talk to you next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.